0: Welcome to the Bounty Zero X podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Adam, founder and CEO of Bounty Zero X. Bounty Zero X is a decentralized bounty hunting network powered by the BNTY token. Today is June 7th, 2018, and my guest on the show is Giuseppe Lopresti of BizShake. Giuseppe is um, CEO and co founder and has a MBA and bachelor of science in computer science. He's a result-oriented executive with over 20 years of professional experience in multinational companies in the EU and APAC region. He has uh, applied a mix of entrepreneurial and other skills in maximizing his business results. So welcome to the show, Giuseppe.
1: Uh, thank you, Angelo. Thank you, and, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to share Bitshake project with you and with your audience.
0: Yeah, we're happy to have you on. So, what is Bitshake all about?
1: Yeah, so Bitshake is committed to improving community life by creating a fully decentralized P2P sharing ecosystem based on blockchain. We are aiming to allow users to monetize their assets in forms of renting and pawning. By while reducing very much the intermediary costs. The essence of a decentralized innovative business model is realized by the ability to tokenize high-value assets on the blockchain, providing the transparency of user profiling through the digital identity services, as well as security provided by an automated dispute system that is going to be uh, regulated under peer control and implemented on blockchain as well.
0: So will the assets, once they're tokenized, be held in custody of the owner or will they be transferred to a, a third party uh, to hold the assets?
1: No, the assets will, will remain in the custody of the owner. So the owner can can publish their assets on Beatshake, the, the, the apps, and uh, they can share these assets that can be everything, can be whatever you have at home or your your, your goods with the community and they can decide which kind of form they want to monetize the ownership of the assets so they can rent out the product. So having a a certain predetermined fee for uh, giving the asset to someone else, to another user for a certain period of time, or they can decide to own their assets. So mean that uh, the user is going to receive a short-term loan that is backed by the asset itself. So, as I was saying, the user will retain the asset until another user engages in the transaction that uh, the owner of the asset published on the, on the website. In terms of tokenization, we think that is very important because one of the main issues in this kind of transaction that is also the reason why there are no such a platform over there is that the highest concern for both users is if the object is fake or broken or is going to have some issues during the the, the transaction and so on and so forth, because, for example, you have ten thousand dollars luxury watch or five thousand dollar luxury bag for our our wives, of course you you want to make sure that the asset that you are giving to another user that of course you don't know. Because it's a it's an internet-based transaction, is going to be uh, well used and returned exactly in the same state it was when you send it out. And on the other side, the user that is going to pay, for example, I don't know, 100 dollars a day, to have the possibility to use your luxury watch, they want to make sure that the luxury watch is exactly real, that you are not sending a fake watch or whatever and the watch that they are going to receive is uh, in a, in a function order. So in order to avoid this, that I repeat is the, the main issue in this kind of transaction, we are going to implement a specific functionality that we call Smart Certify. Smart Certify will work involving a partnership and affiliation program with uh, professionals of each asset class. So for example, let's remain on the example of the watch we are going to have an affiliation program for watch dealers watch repairers watch watch professionals that of course has to they have to prove being professional having years of experience in this particular field and uh, this will be screened by BizShake, of course and once we have this affiliation program the user that wants to certify his assets so you you want to make sure you want to show to the other users that your watch is exactly what you're advertising, you will send or you will bring your watch to one of our affiliates and this professional is going to certify that the assets is real and is going to evaluate. So it's going to say, okay, this is the, the exact model of the watch and according to the state of the watch, maybe it has some scratches or whatever, because of course it's used, The value is not $10,000, maybe it can be $9,500. So once our affiliated professional is going to evaluate and certify the watch is real, he's going to create the unique identifier on the blockchain and is going to apply on the asset a tracking device this tracking device can be of different type according to the to the kind of uh, asset because of course it can be smaller or bigger or something dedicated for metals or for leathers or for different materials so it can be using different technologies like beacon or RFID or NFC and once the tracking device is applied to the product or to the asset and is linked to the univoc identifier on the blockchain, then at that point, the user on the other side of the transaction can be sure that what he is going to rent or pawn is exactly what is advertised and is exactly in that state and is exactly of that value. So this kind of functionality is going to actually enable this kind of transaction. This is precisely the reason why we are doing this project right now. Because I and uh, Valentina, that is the other co-founder of BizShake, we uh, started thinking about this kind of project a few years ago. But unfortunately, after studying the business model and making financial projections, we understood that in order to provide the necessary trust for people to engage in this kind of transaction, we should have centralized a lot of certification and a lot of involvement in legal departments and so on and so forth. So means that the fee that we should have applied as a platform to the transaction should have been so high that we thought no users would have been willing to engage in such a transaction. Recently, last year, let's say around August or September, we um, started thinking again about this project because I studied blockchain. Of course, at the beginning, I was interested in blockchain for the investment purpose. But since I have a technical background, as you said, I have uh, I hold a bachelor in computer science. I also wanted to better understand the technology behind the investment, so I studied the technical papers of the, how the blockchain works, and of course how the blockchain evolved because at the beginning was just a cryptocurrency bitcoin and then evolved in the smart contracts platforms like ethereum or neo or eos or uh, now we are going to have many more and uh, in that moment i understood that applying this particular technology we could have actually implemented the business model we had in mind but much more efficient way so not only enabling from a technical perspective the safety and the trust necessary for these transactions, but also reducing enormously the cost. So the fee that we are going to apply uh, to the transactions that will happen on the the apps is going to be very low. It's going to be 5% of the transaction value. That means 5% of the rent fee in case of a rent transaction or 5% of the interest on the loan, in case of the pawn transaction. Just for a a little comparison, as I said, there is no this kind of platform right now over there because, of course, there is no certainty about the authenticity of the products. That is, as I explained, something that we are addressing with SmartSedify. But the same kind of, if you want, business model is implemented by other platforms, like, for example, Airbnb. Of course, they don't have the problem of the fake object because a house cannot be faked. But nonetheless, we can take a Airbnb or other renting platform as a comparison in order to understand how applying the blockchain technology to this business model is going to let us reduce enormously the fee. Because as I said, BitShake fee is going to be 5% of the transaction value, while Airbnb or other less successful sharing economy platform are going to apply up to 30% of the transaction fee.
0: Is that how high the Airbnbs and other similar platforms are? Is that That's pretty high. And why is it so high? You mentioned that they have to pay, You know, it's centralized, so they take a, quite a bit of the profit, but do they have other costs? And can you comment on whether those similar types of costs are applicable yes. in your business model and how the, the blockchain reduces those costs?
1: Yes. So, um, as you correctly said, they have a high cost of infrastructure because they are centralized. So, of course, they have to make sure that all the transactions are happening in a secure way. So, of course, they need to make sure that there are no hacking in their system. There is a redundancy in their system and all the technical things that are applied to a centralized infrastructure. And all of these are obviously overcome by using a decentralized infrastructure, because as we know, a blockchain is decentralized. That means that there are many different nodes running the same transactions and having the same information. So, even in the unlucky event that one or, or few of those nodes are going to be uh, crashing or uh, destroyed or hacked, the other nodes are keep running without. Creating any discontinuity in the, in the service providing. So is uh, perfectly transparently functioning for the users. So this is one big point. The other big point is that uh, using the blockchain in order to make the monetary transactions that, of course, are going to be settled by uh, cryptocurrency transactions. We are not going to have the cost for the credit cards and the banking charges. That is a cost that all the platforms out there that are not uh, using cryptocurrency are going to face. And uh, another big cost that we are going to avoid is the legal department costs. Because, as I said, these kind of centralized platforms, they have to provide the necessary trust for the users in order to engage in these transactions. Because... A user cannot trust the technology behind Airbnb because nobody knows what is the technology behind Airbnb is a proprietary technology. So you need to trust that platform. So you engage in a, a transaction on any of the P2P platforms, like also eBay, we can mention because you don't trust the person behind the computer, the other computer. You trust the platform. So you know that. If anything is going to happen, there is a dispute system that is run by the platform and they are taking a decision about who's going to get the money or who's going to pay the other party. And this creates two problems. One problem is, of course, that they have to face a high cost for legal departments, as I mentioned already. And also the other point is that the legal departments are following the law that is Absolutely normal. But sometimes, since these are very simple transactions, because it's a transaction that is exchanging up as an object between two users. So it's a, a very basic commercial transaction. Sometimes using the law is going to judge the problem in a not very correct way, because we all know that the laws sometimes have to take care of more complicated things. So they are applying a logic that is really not following the common sense. So in order to avoid this problem, we are creating another functionality that we call Smart Dispute. So what what is Smart Dispute? Smart Dispute is a, a dispute system that is going to be implemented on the blockchain as well and is going to be peer controlled. So when in the case that uh, we, we know it can happen that a problem arise during a transaction. So, for example, a, pro- a product is ruined or is not returned or is not sent or whatever other reason. The users can, of course, after having tried to solve the issues uh, within themselves, they can, at any moment, they can uh, raise a dispute. In the moment in which they raise a dispute, the blockchain will select randomly five arbiters. These five arbiters are going to be selected among the arbiters panel and for users in order to be uh, eligible for being part of the arbiters panel, they need to have the highest level of credibility. And once they are selected, they will judge the, the issue. Of course, the users will provide all the, the documentation needed by the arbiters to judge the dispute.
0: And so how does the user qualify to be an arbiter? What ne- necessary information is required to enter the
1: pool of arbiters? In order to enter the pool of arbiters, you need to be of the highest level of credibility. So our, our system will have... The credibility level of the user that is is going to be based not only like uh, most of the centralized platforms out there uh, on the history of the transactions and the rating that you got from other users engaging in transactions with you, but we are going to implement another very important, actually very new functionality of uh, blockchain technology that is going to be the digital identity. So we are going to apply, we very recently declared. Disclose that we are going to apply as our digital identity provider, OntID, that is the, the digital identity technology developed by Ontology, that is a company that is related to NEO. That is the blockchain that we are going to use for BitShake. And by implementing the digital identity functionality, we are going through the blockchain to collect and use upon approval of the user, of course, all the information that the user have on any other source of uh, information that he wants to share. So any other e-commerce platform, any other social networks, but can be also government data, can be insurance data, can be whatever. So Using all this information, we developed a specific algorithm for that, for uh, mixing all this data and coming out with a certain level of credibility that is going to grant the users to have certain discount when he wants to engage in transactions, or if he is at, um, at the highest level, he can opt in to be an arbiter.
0: Okay, that's great. So he can. Uh, opt-in and well, they need to have certain like, expertise in order to be an arbiter in, in certain areas? Like, for example, if the arbitration needs to make a decision on something that requires some level of expertise in a certain area, then presumably they would need to satisfy that. Is that correct?
1: Well, actually, we, we think that is not going to be required any specific skill. To, to be judging the transactions because, uh, as I said, the transactions are simple, simple commercial transactions. So we really think that applying the common sense is going to be much more efficient than applying the law. So let let me give you an example that is actually something that really happened to me. And this is the reason why we came out with this kind of system. So I was told by a friend of mine, very close friend of mine, that uh, he engaged in a transaction on a P2P renting application, one of the major ones. So he rented out his apartment and uh, in, in the, adver- the advertising, he wrote very clearly that he didn't want any of the leasees to have parties in the apartment because the neighborhood is very quiet, so the parties are not normally accepted. He wrote very clearly, but the guy who rented his apartment actually held a party. And when, when he left, my friend, he was called by the, 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 the building manager. And uh, a lot of neighbors actually told the building manager that uh, someone in that apartment had a party and he had a lot of troubles. So he raised an issue on the platform. But he was told by the platform legal department that uh, there is no any law that is saying that uh, you can actually forbid the lessee to have any party. And th- this is a clear case in which if some other arbiters like you or me are going to be judging something like this, of course, we are going to say that my friend was right because he wrote it very clearly. So... I understand there is no law that is forbidding the disease to have a party, but if you don't want them to have a party, you should not. This is why we think that applying the common sense by the people is going to be even more efficient than applying the law from a lawyer
0: and so you are also on the neo blockchain, so neo has a number of benefits uh, compared to you know ethereum's blockchain, so one of them is The scalability, so it can, in theory, process thousands of transactions per second. There's also the uh, quantum proof algorithm and the uh, delegated Byzantine fault tolerance. And um, so digital identity implementation is also one of the features of NEO. And I assume... Will you guys be using that for identity of the users on the platform?
1: Yes. As I was mentioning before, uh, we are going to use OntID, that is the digital identity service provided, developed by Ontology, that is a company found, founded by the same founder of Neo. So, of course, they are two different entities, but they are working very closely to one each other. So they signed very recently an MOU and they created a task force for uh, mixing and, and uh, sharing all the implementations of both teams. So they are going to make uh, available on NEO all, all of the f- features developed by Ontology and the other way around. So uh, we think that NEO, as you said, have a lot of advantages compared to, other, to Ethereum, that is, as of today, the only other working platform. And uh, especially the scalability for us is a very crucial part because we really hope that our our uh, ecosystem is going to be uh, mainstream. So we are hoping to have millions of users, potentially. So being limited to 15 transactions per second, that is the current limit of Ethereum, is going to be a very big problem for us. So th- this is one of the main reasons why we decided to go to NEO. That as of today is capable of a thousand transactions per second. And from the roadmap within two thousand twenty, they will scale to one hundred thousand transactions per second.
0: So you mentioned earlier that for physical assets which are going to be rented or pawned. Well, not necessarily in the case of the pawning, but with the renting, they'll be able to track attach a transmitter to the asset. And the your one of your affiliates who will verify the asset. I will also be involved with attaching some type of device to it. So who are you working with and what will this device look like?
1: Uh, Well, uh, we are trying to finalize a partnership with a company that is specialized in this kind of application. So I cannot disclose the name as of today, but uh, we think we are very close to closing a deal with them. And uh, actually in the market, there are, A lot of different devices that are can be bigger or smaller or uh, particularly targeted for uh, metal objects or for tissues, objects, fabric objects. So it really depends on the kind of assets. So we will develop this partnership with this company specializing on these exactly because they have the right knowledge and skills to suggest us and to study with us the right kind of device and the right kind of technology according to each asset class.
0: And when you first launch, will you be just supporting specific types of assets, which would you have already developed a partnership with and then expand to additional assets or will it initially be any type of asset?
1: Yes, of course, we will have a certain type of assets that we will start uh, dealing with And uh, we are going to select uh, the kind of assets according to the feedback that we are going to have from our community because we are going to publish our MVP before the the token sale. So we are going to let user experience uh, what we have in mind, how we imagine the transaction is going to happen. And so we will collect feedback on what kind of uh, assets that people will be more likely to share. And also another big point is how the token sale is going to go, because, of course, uh, we have a, a soft cap and a hard cap. So according to what level of funds we can collect, we are going to implement more kind of assets, of course, and also in terms of market, because as I said, our business model is based on the fact that there are going to be an affiliation program for the professionals that are going to certify the assets. So we need to establish a a big chain of these professionals for each asset class. So according to how much money we are going to raise, we are going to focus on one market or we are going to expand on more. For example, if we reach the soft cap, We are going to start focusing on the U.S. market, but uh, if if we reach a certain level of the money up to the hard cap, we are going to expand it to European Union, Eastern Europe, Southeast Asia, and Japan, and potentially China. Japan is going to be definitely a huge market for this kind of thing because there is a huge second-hand luxury market. It's kind of a unique example of that. And uh, so it's going to be most likely our second market after the U.S.
0: That's really interesting. I've heard of a lot of people who would be interested in having this type of product. Because why nowadays would it make sense for someone to buy something outright when they're only going to use it once and they have to spend all the money to buy something and pay taxes on it? And it's something which they could... Would they would rather just rent it if given the option? But there really is no option for a user to rent certain items because of a lot of inefficiencies and you know lack of platform and high costs uh, associated with it. So what happens if I you know rent a nice purse or watch another asset like a motorcycle and you know while I'm using it I accidentally break it and What recourse does the other party have if one of the users damages one of the items that they're renting? Is there insurance that will cover that or does there need to be a security deposit?
1: Well, of course, it can always happen something because of anything, right? So definitely it's going to be a deposit. When the transaction is engaged, there is going to be a deposit that is blocked in order to cover any any kind of damage, and uh, is going to be also an insurance. So we are working hard also to find a partner for uh, insurance. We would like to find a partner of uh, blockchain-based insurance, but unfortunately so far we could not find any project that is already functioning. So at the beginning, most likely we are going to use one insurance provider that is going to be a standard insurance company that is going to be global, of course, because we need to expand. But uh, the users will decide whether he wants or not having the insurance because, as I said, the object can be everything. So, of course, if you are going to rent out a motorcycle, most likely you are going to opt in for the insurance. But if you are going to rent a PlayStation game, maybe you don't care. So it's totally up to the user to decide whether to pay or not for the insurance. And the other important point is that, as I mentioned, and as you correctly point out, there is going to be a deposit, but the the deposit uh, can have different amounts according to two factors. One is the credibility level. So you can rent out your motorcycle and say, okay, the, the, the people that the user set have the maximum credibility level are going to have a deposit of uh, $5,000. The people that are going to have a very low credibility level, I want $10,000, something like that. Another functionality we are going to implement is the sub-communities. So as we discussed basically during all the interview, one of the major issues for this kind of platform is the trust. So uh, in order to overcome this problem, we are using the blockchain. In order to... Even more overcome this problem, we are implementing the Smart Certify and the Smart Dispute, as I mentioned. But in order to even make it easier for users to engage in transaction, we are going to let users create sub-communities that can be managed, created and managed by the users themselves they can decide whatever barrier of entrance to decide. For example, you you want to make a sub-community that is going to rent only cameras or lenses for cameras in uh, New York, for example. In this way, what is going to happen is that, for example, you can set the entry acceptance level to be that you must show that you are active in a certain forum or you, you have to provide the proof that you already own at least two cameras or whatever. And uh, you can even decide a certain area in which you want to the people be in order to enter the community. In this way, you can uh, set a lower fee and a low, a definitely lower deposit because you are going to have more trust among the people because you already have screened them.
0: And we talked about... The two different products that you're developing, one is the rental product and the other one is the pawning product. Do you want to just... So we discussed the rental product. So I have an asset, give it to someone for a period of time. They use it and in exchange, they pay me a rental fee for it. We didn't really talk specifically about the, the smart pawn product. And so these are the two products that you're developing, but there's also going to be a number of other products. So if you're going to have a developer platform, where anyone will be able to build other products within the ecosystem that run on the same smart contracts that were used for a smart pawn and smart rent, but with some changes, so you'll have this developer ecosystem but talk about smart pawn, what does that consist of? Because when usually you think of a pawn pawn shop, you think of it you know somewhere where you go to sell some of your old belongings, which you don't use anymore. And they give you just a flat fee and you sell them the product. But the smart pawn in your ecosystem is a little different. And how is it different?
1: Yeah, actually, when you go to the pawn brick and mortar shop, basically you have the option to sell the product, but you can also actually pawn the product. It means that you are giving the product to them for a certain period of time, let's say one month, and they give you a, a short-term loan based on the value of the product that you are giving them. And at the end of the month, if you want your product back, you have to go back to this to the shop, give back their money plus an, an interest that is predetermined. So the smartphone will function exactly in this way, but of course it's going to be completely P2P. So let's make a concrete example. For example, you, you want to um, you want to have a holiday And in this moment, you don't have the money because uh, you know that you are going to receive some money. But in this moment, you don't have. And of course, while you will be on holiday, you are not going to be using your motorbike, for example. So you can decide to pawn your motorbike for 15 days. And the other user is going to give you a loan for the motorbike. And when you will be back, you will get back the motorbike, giving back the loan plus the interest rate that was agreed. So in this way, of course, you are going to have more money for the period of time in which you are giving away your object than in the rent business model, of course. And in this case, it's you that in order to have your object back, you have to pay some interest rate on the amount of money that you are actually using.
0: So which of the two products will you be launching? Will you be launching them simultaneously or will they be launching a first the smart rent and then the smart,
1: smart pawn? Yes, we are launching first the smart rent and then smart pawn, but the, the, the time between the two will be very, very short. So, for example, in terms of MVP, as I said, we are going to develop the MVP and alpha release. We are launching smart rent in June and next month. So, after three or four weeks, we are going to launch also smart pawn. MVP, and uh, for the for the um, final release, is going to be basically one or two months after SmartRent we will release SmartPone.
0: And will the initial alpha release be available to users anywhere? Is it limited to certain jurisdictions?
1: As I said, of course, uh, in order to enable this business model, we need to have the affiliation program ready, and we need to have the certification user ready. So means that according to the amount of money that we are raising during the token sale, we will be able to concentrate on one market only or expand more globally. So it really depends because, of course, the amount of money you need to invest in business development in order to have an affiliation network big enough is a lot. And uh, this is one of the reasons why, actually, we have so much difference between the soft cap and the hard cap because the soft cap is what we need to build the applications and uh, to concentrate on one market and relatively few asset class. And in that case, of course, we will use the revenues coming from the platform in order to expand more and more, and it will take more time. If we can reach the hard cap, that I really hope, then in that case, we are going to spend more money and we can hire more people in the, the business development team, so we can start with more markets and more asset class. Right at the beginning.
0: And see, so for the transactions on the network, do they require that the affiliate approves and authenticates all of them, or is that an optional decision?
1: It's totally, it's totally optional that the users can decide. Of course, as I said, it it really depends uh, in my in my vision by the the value of the object. So if you are renting out your motorbike, most likely you're going to require a certification. If you're renting out a PlayStation game, you are not going to.
0: And will the fee that they take be a set fee set by the platform or or how will that be determined?
1: Uh, The the fee will be determined according to the value of the object, of course. It's going to be very low anyway, and uh, uh, Beatshake is not taking any out of that. So it's going to be completely transferred from the user to the certified user. And uh, it's going to be very low because, of course, the certified user that is, uh, as I said, the business professional in that particular asset class is going to use that in order to engage, to provide more services for, for his customers and to have the possibility to, to advertise his other services or uh, sell other products to the customers. So we are definitely sure that the the fee will be very low.
0: Okay, let's just uh, if you don't mind, you mentioned this earlier. You talked about the non fungible token that's issued for the asset. So maybe we could break that down for the listeners. And running up on 40 minutes here, but I think it's an important thing to to discuss because there are these concept. There's this concept of a non fungible token. So. Explain what that is and how it's used on the platform.
1: Yeah, so non-fungible tokens are a special kind of tokens that are basically different from one each other. So on the opposite side, there is the fungible tokens. Most of the tokens that we have in our e-wallets are fungible tokens because if I give you one Ethereum or, and you give me back another Ethereum, of course, it's going to be exactly the same. It's like when we exchange $1 bill. My dollar bill and your dollar bill are exactly fungible because they are exactly the same and they have the same value. The non-fungible tokens, on the other hand, are definitely unique. So one token has a unique identifier that is an hash code, of course, so it's um, determined by a cryptography algorithm like any other things on the blockchain and is going to identify that exact token. So... On this extent, we are going to use that to univocally identify one asset, one tracking device that is going to be attached to one asset.
0: So let's say it's a watch. So the the non fungible token is then representative of the asset. And so then what? So we have this token that represents an asset and it's issued whenever when a transaction is is made between a renter or someone who's lending out funds in exchange for an asset. So, so then what happens once this once this non fungible token is created, which represents this underlying asset?
1: Well, what happens is that the, the non fungible token is going to be transferred to the uh, wallet of the owner of the object of the asset, and uh, the the ownership of that particular non fungible token is going to represent the ownership of the asset itself. So whatever happens to the, uh, to the talk, to the object, to the physical object to the asset, the owner of the asset can legally prove that he was the owner of that particular asset that was certified that had that particular value. So it means that in any case, the, there is no way that anyone can claim that the owner didn't have that particular asset. So that cannot happen that the other user is going to say, ah, the, the, the object you sent to me was fake, was not real, you didn't send. So the non-fungible token is going to prove, even on a legal uh, level, the owner of the object is actually the owner of the object. On this extent, think about it, the the non-fungible token we are going to use for this kind of application, but it's something that uh, other platforms, other other people are going to use for ownership of house. So they are going to create non-fungible tokens that represent a house, and even the transaction of buying and selling the house is going to happen exchanging this non-fungible token. So it's a very nice functionality of blockchain that is very new, And uh, it's going to be a revolution.
0: Is there anything else that we should discuss? Uh, Do you want to touch on the... Well, uh, so we haven't discussed the governance model for uh, the token holders. And then there's the actual use of your own native tokens, which we haven't discussed. Do you want to touch on those two portions of the project?
1: Yeah, sure. So our token is going to be a security token. So we are applying for the Reg A+. Uh, under the US SEC regulation because we think that this model that is going to be developed by the ICOs in in the last two years in which each platform is going to issue their token and their token has to be used in order to pay on the platform is something that is not sustainable. It's like uh, if I go shopping and in each shop I go, if I buy the bag, I have to uh, need to have the bag token. Then I exit. I go in in the in the grocery, and I have to pay with the grocery coin. And then I go to the uh, supermarket, and I have to pay with the supermarket coin. So it's crazy. In my in my personal opinion, it's something that is going to change completely. And for this reason, also for other reasons, we decided that we want to issue our token as a security, and will be linked the token ownership to the ownership of a particular class B shares that we are that our company is going to to issue so actually for us the token holders will be shareholders okay so the the token holders will be involved in the governance of the company uh, so means that we are going to implement a specific smart contracts that are going to let the token holders to vote on the business decisions. So, for example, before I was mentioning that we are going to expand in different markets along the way or expanding in different asset classes. So we are going to ask our token holders what they want. We are going to ask them which is the market that we should go on. We are going to ask them which is the asset class that we should implement and so on and so forth. And also, they are going to receive 30% of the dividends that the company will, will distribute. And they are going to also elect one board of director member. This is very important because, as I said, they are going through the smart contract to decide on the business decisions. But of course, they will not be able to decide on the financial decisions because, of course, the financial decisions require some skills. And they are going to have eventually a very high impact on the on the company health. So the financial decisions will be taken by the board of directors, but the token holders will be able to elect one member of the board of directors. So we think that actually this is the way that most of the company will be using the token sale in the future, because uh, as I said, I don't see the the utility token model to be working on a large extent of course there are going to be some utility token but they are going to be very few and very limited to to some some markets some some industries and as i mentioned uh, last very last thing we are applying for the us sec reg a plus so means that our uh, token sale will be open to the us citizens all of them also the non accredited investors so every U.S. citizens will be welcome to participate to our token sale as well as any other person in the world. Unfortunately, we have to exclude the Chinese citizens because the Chinese government still are, uh, is banning all the ICOs. So we are not going to be allowed to let the Chinese citizens to participate in our token sale. But that is the only exception.
0: And for a user who wants to participate and he's in one of the jurisdictions where he can buy the tokens, with the security tokens, he needs to undergo KYC and the security token offering will take place in like four, around October.
1: Yes. So we are going to open our white list in a couple of weeks so the users that wants to be able to buy the tokens they have to undergo the KYC and AML screening that means that they have to register on our website and they have to provide the the, the documents the passport and the selfie with the passport in order for our partner to check the validity of the document and check that uh, the, this person is not doing any money laundering, involved in any money laundering activities. After that, the user will be included in the whitelist. And in October, he will be able to participate in a token sale uh, that will be regulated by a smart contract on the NEO blockchain. And we are going to accept uh, NEO, GAS, and ONT. And the user will just have to send to the smart contract hash code through his NEO wallet the amount that he wants to to invest in our company and will receive immediately from the smart contract the correct number of BZS token.
0: And have you guys confirmed which interface will you be using in order to engage with the token holders so that they can claim the fees or participate in the governance? Because with these security tokens they can be they can be transferred to any other user, so if I have a thousand tokens I can send them to anyone else who has a neo wallet and then that third party who then owns those tokens or who's who's received those tokens can then in, in theory earn uh, participate in the governance of the platform and earn some of the fees that were generated by the platform but are there any like checks that you guys need to do on your side to make sure that when a user who has received these tokens is known to you? Does that make sense?
1: Yes, we are going to use the same digital identity service that we are implementing for the platform to track who is owning our tokens. And then we are going to use the so called proof of stake when any voting is going to happen. The proof of stake will Basically, check who is owning the tokens through the, the, the digital identity service.
0: so that way you can always know if who is uh, participating in the governance of the platform and actually verify their identity, even if they weren't participating in the initial crowd sale, even if they received the, the tokens from a third party.
1: Exactly, and also consider that this kind of identification is needed by any stock exchange around the world for participating in the voting for the companies that uh, have the stocks and is going to be required by any security exchange in the future. So you, you can imagine the security exchange to be very similar to the current stock exchange, but instead of owning shares, you will own the security tokens. So of course the security exchange, as well as the stock exchange, will make sure that they can know through the digital identity service and track all the exchanges that happen, all the all the passages of ownership that happens of any token like as of today happens for the stocks.
0: Right. And what exchanges have you decided on that yet? Or is that still in in the works as far as which exchanges you'll be be partnering with like there are a number of exchanges now that are being developed that are just securities token only exchanges like T0 is is one of them that comes to mind. Do you have any in particular that you're planning to uh, work with once you launch the token and once the crowd sales can finish?
1: Well, of course, we are monitoring the market very closely because, as you said, uh, basically so far there is no security token exchange out there. But there are many platforms that are developing one and some others that are expanding. For example, T-Zero is a very good example, but also news of today or yesterday, Coinbase, they acquired another company and they are going to apply through this other company that that they acquired to the SEC to being certified as a security exchange. So Coinbase is one of the main ones and can be a very good exchange to be listed on, and I'm sure all the others will follow. And also, is worth to mention that the NASDAQ itself, they declared that they are studying, they are actually implementing a, a, a security token exchange. So most likely, what we are going to see in the next few, I would say, months, not years, because blockchain is developing so fast, that most of the current big stock exchange, they are going to develop their own tokens, security token exchange. So, yeah, the, the future is bright for security tokens, in my opinion.
0: All right. So, if there's anything else, uh, if there's not anything else, I think we can end the podcast. Is there anything where we didn't cover that you think we should discuss?
1: I think we covered, most likely, everything, uh, all the aspects of the project.
0: Okay, then... Uh, My guest on the show has been Giuseppe Lopresti, CEO and co-founder of BizShake. The bounty campaign is ongoing, so if anyone is interested in participating, they can uh, visit bizshake.io and or alpha.bounty0x and do a search for BizShake. The ICO is in 115 days, approximately. And uh, if they want to learn more, Giuseppe, where can they learn more about the project?
1: They can learn more on our website, that is shake.io, and uh, over there they they can find the explanatory videos as well as uh, the the white paper and the other documents that are uh, available in uh, multiple languages.
0: Thank you. Uh, My guest on the show has been Giuseppe Lopressi. Thank you for coming on, and we look forward to seeing the project develop.
1: Yeah, thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bounty Zero X podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast below. Check out BountyZeroX.io, the number one bounty hunting platform where you can complete work and earn cryptocurrency. Please consult your professional financial investment and tax advisors before making any investment in initial coin offerings. Bounty Zero X does not provide investment or financial advice and does not endorse or recommend investment in any ICOs advertised on the Bounty Zero X podcast or website.